0: Welcome to the brownstein hyatt farber Shrek podcast series. Listen in as policy directors Brian Wild and Drew Littman join strategic advisor Mark Begich to give an update on the current political landscape. With the 2018 midterm elections still nine months out, their bipartisan discussion includes primary activity, predictions on if the makeup of the House and Senate could shift, and the potential impact of voters in the 18-29 age group.
1: Welcome back to another Brownstein podcast. This is on politics in D.C. and across this country today. I'm joined with uh, Brian Wild, uh, policy director at Brownstein. has over two decades of experience in Washington. During that time, he has worked at the White House, in both the House and the Senate, and in the private sector. A highly regarded Republican advisor, Brian represents a broad range of business and trade associations and manages extensive public affair campaigns and provides policy advisory and strategy on energy, tax, labor, transportation, and healthcare issues. Also joined with Drew Littman, policy director, previously served as Senator Al Franken's chief of staff, where he led a staff of more than 30 and spearheaded all legislative policy and press initiatives. Before that, he served in the office of Senator Barbara Boxer, four of those years as a policy director. Immediately before joining Brownstein this year, Drew served as senior counselor to Health and Human Services Secretary Sylvia Matthews Burrell. And this is one of those moments where I don't want to say it's like a free for all, but we start talking about issues, and I, I want you guys to engage on however you want to. But let's just start with here we are, February, March, elections are around the corner, primaries are happening now. You know, some of the folks are going through some primary activity right now in caucuses to figure out who's going to be the Senate nominee, the House nominee governor's races, there's a lot of activity, it seems, uh, around the country. There's also a lot of hot issues that may impact these. I mean, the latest tragedy around guns is bringing this issue to the forefront uh, in a way that maybe is a little different than in the past, because you have young people really doing some things that have not been seen in the past on this specific issue. You have the Russia investigation that's kind of more indictments and maybe something will happen or not happen. You have an economy that's very strong right now, a tax bill that passed that is becoming more and more popular by the day. Uh, There's this kind of combination of things. And then you have a bunch of House members quitting, leaving, retiring. For a variety of reasons. Some just, I'm done, I'm fed up. Some say, I got to go make a real living. You have very tight Senate races for the Democrats in several states that Trump did significantly well in. But then you overlay all these special elections that are occurring around the country. And in state houses, Democrats are doing well. There seems to be an excitement level on Democrats' side. But then when you watch CPAC this last week, I mean, it's like a campaign that's still in motion, it seems. So if someone asks me to predict, I and I'm going to ask at the end of this your predictions, but I think it's a tough call. So let me just start with Drew. I mean, Democrats have a lot of Senate races. You worked yeah. in the Senate to, to protect. But you look around, there's optimism on the governors, it seems, state houses, and maybe the state... Uh, the U.S. House. Yep. So tell me kind of your thinking. With these issues, how do they impact all this?
0: It'll, a lot to
1: unpack there, Mark. <laughs> but, but, but let I me... wanted to set the stage because yep. American people are dealing with all this in like... 30 seconds. (laughs) So so the
0: the key thing that I'm looking at is the special election results, because the sample is fairly large. And what we've seen is that Democrats have flipped 37 state legislative seats since Donald Trump was sworn in as president. And those were
1: seats that were Republican? Flipped. Flipped them. Those
0: are Mm -hmm. flips. Those aren't all the wins. Those are just flips. In 2017, Democrats in these state legislative races within each district were running an average of 10 points ahead of Hillary. In 2018, much smaller sample, they're running an average of 28 points ahead of Hillary. So, so even though polls have fluctuated and the generic ballot, which we all study, has fluctuated a bit one thing that's been constant is Democratic success, including success in red states like uh, Oklahoma is an example we've Mm -hmm. used before where Democrats have flipped three state legislative Mm -hmm. seats. They're winning some districts like in Virginia that you would say, well, they should have been Democratic. Hillary won those. But they're winning districts in places where Trump won by 40 points. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that large sample is probably a little more significant than the Polling, and it bodes well for Democrats. Having said that, with 10 senators defending seats in states Trump won, as you said, sometimes by very large margins... Democrats are, still have a rough road to hoe in mm-hmm. the Senate. You, you know, Bill Nelson may get uh, Rick Scott, the governor of Florida, as an opponent. He'd be a formidable opponent. He so seems
1: s- to be doing some good moves from his pot for, from his voters on guns right now.
0: It would be very hard to evaluate whether these are good moves or not well, good he's moves. Well, more or than
1: what Republicans would normally do.
0: He, he is doing more. He didn't. Uh, he turned down an invitation to appear at the CNN town meeting and 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 left Rubio to hold the fort. I don't think that looked great. Right. Um, and we still don't know how big a voting issue. This is it, typically it's been a voting issue for gun owners. Mm-hmm. We don't know how big a voting issue it is for non-gun owners, mm-hmm. but I'll stop there and give Brian a shot. Brian, what, I mean, what do
1: you think? I mean, it's February.
2: Let's start there, and it's it's every week is a lifetime
1: in politics. It's really early. <laughs>
2: um, November is a long way off. Uh, I think that there's a little danger that Democrats have right now mm-hmm. um, in that. Uh, There's a lot of primaries, and they're picking a lot of candidates, and the issues that those candidates are are being chosen on may not be the issues that matter in November. And generic
1: Um, numbers have actually... Got a little tighter. Generic
2: numbers are getting better. Republicans are are starting to tick up a little bit. Um, Tax
1: policy is getting good score.
2: And I think a lot of that's probably driven by the the economy as a whole and and the interpretation of tax reform, which we really haven't yet seen its greatest impacts, which will be even later I mean, I think Republicans are certainly hopeful that by the November elections, um, that unemployment will be way down, that wage growth will be way up, that the economy, that that GDP will be at the three percent that they think it's going to be, and that that will lift all boats. This constant pivot from panic issue to panic issue, and now it's gun control, and just two weeks before, it was Dreamers, um, which has been completely replaced. We haven't had a CNN debate on immigration now for at least two weeks. Right. At one, it's exhausting for the voters to endure this. Um, and to Drew's point, we're not sure what the, the, the longevity of the issue is going to be. Is is immigration going to be dealt with before November? I think so. Um, are guns going to be dealt with before November? Probably not, but can it be maintained until November? It's a, it's a really long, long, long time.
1: You know, your point, it's an interesting point you, you you bring up there, Brian, in regards to the public is kind of exhausted. I was at a, we had a dinner party at our house, and and several of them, somehow we got discussing issues, but the, several of them said, I just, I'm just tired of watching the news. You know, it's like almost... Like they they force themselves to turn the news on, and they quickly decide this is not what I want to watch. And it's almost and it is this kind of crisis to crisis to crisis, and the public is feeling that and experiencing that. And and will that kind of will that be the angst that carries into elections, where you see like in California, you have two mainstream candidates running for governor. You know, former mayor of San Francisco, former mayor of L.A. And then you have a former candidate for Congress, also a former Clinton campaign person. And, and actually, I think, worked for Senator Stabenow, if I remember right. Renteria, right? She did. Who Feinstein is, also, right. And just has jumped into this race. And literally, I, I got an email from her yesterday. And what her reasoning is, is kind of like, I'm done with all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And is that the angst that's occurring that translates into voters, but also these candidates that are just out of the norm or not. And, you know, she's not necessarily out of the norm because she's a political, but she's out of the norm of what people thought would ever enter that race. Yeah. Right. I don't know what she does to the race. I think it's California. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, Amanda's
0: a friend, and yeah. I, I was a supporter, contributor when she ran for house mm-hmm. uh, a little while back. Um, I knew her from when she was on the Hill, when she worked for Stabenow. she
1: came up with Stabenow to Alaska and when was I was Hillary's senator. And she was
0: Hillary's political director during right. the presidential campaign, I believe. Yep. She's very, very talented and, yep. and very driven. Um, I think she played on a national championship women's basketball team at right. Stanford, and she's tiny. So you know the drive is there. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think she I'm not sure any polls have been taken with her name in them, but I'd be surprised if she registers in polls. She needs to cause something to happen to have an influence on the race. I think Gavin Newsom was out early and ahead early. Mm-hmm. He's popular, he's well-liked. I yeah. don't think there's a political faction. I think he got 39% uh, at the convention, uh, the California Democratic right. Convention was last weekend. 39% is pretty good considering the strength of the other candidates. Right. I don't think there's any Democratic faction that doesn't like him. There, there may be some preference for other candidates, for v. Ragosa or other candidates, but Newsom's pretty well-liked. I, I, he'd be very hard to beat.
1: Right. It, it, it's, but it's interesting. I guess my my comment is is this angst of the voter, this angst of uh, people who. I mean, you see new faces coming into the politics you haven't seen before. I can't remember what Republican senator I just saw drew an independent to run against him, and also another one drew a uh, Republican Tea Party or conservative in his primary. And is it is is that kind of bubbling on the republican side i mean we we're seeing it kind of in the democratic side with this new kind of wave of people is it is it happening there
2: so i think the trend on the republican side is is there's a lack of energy right mm-hmm. so um you know we we really took over the majority in the tea party wave of 2010 and that was an energy derived wave yeah. more than even a policy derived yeah. yeah. wave and right now when you look at the the sheer volume of of retirements and and it's across all all ages and seniorities you know mm-hmm. it's 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 a lot of old bulls and a lot of former chairmen or that are going to be tenured out and then and then you have a lot of you know younger people that this just isn't what they thought it was going to be and right. i think that that the republicans are seeing a downturn in energy at the candidate level mm-hmm. and probably that Is also felt at the at the uh, electorate level, and and Democrats are seeing the opposite, right? It's almost a a, you guys have primaries that are driven because you have too much energy, and 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 you're really kind of experiencing what we experienced over the last decade. Uh, Democrats seem to be experiencing it. It'll be interesting to see how Democrats manage that, Mm -hmm. um, whether they get ahead of 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 that wave and try to direct it, or whether they they succumb to it like Republicans did, and really then had a non governing majority for a long time
1: uh, among the Republicans. I know they're doing well in the money raising. It seems uh, Democrats had a slow start on the DNC side of it, but other individual fundraising, individual, very yeah, an individual. So, um, is money going to be in the this election cycle? Is money the driver? Or is enthusiasm or lack of enthusiasm the driver? In other words, is it going to be the that the driver or the money the driver? Because I I get this sense this. Enthusiasm or lack of enthusiasm—it might be the determining factor more than money in the first time. I may be wrong about that. Well, but. it should be—it
0: should be in a midterm. I think that what successful Democratic candidates are saying is they run on very local issues. They don't talk about Trump, but anti-Trump sentiment is definitely driving voters, driving them very strongly. Right. And 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 money raising and money I raising. Think I get six
1: emails a day. So from so the enthusiasm for Democrats.
0: <laughs> isn't just turnout. Turnout is at the, at the end of the process. It's better candidates running,
1: mm-hmm.
0: greater ability to raise more money, um, and better cores of volunteers. A lot of candidates have, successful candidates have talked about their volunteers, people willing to go door-to-door in obscure state senate races. You don't usually get a lot of that, right. but there's a lot of that on the Democratic side. That all comes before the turnout on Election Day. Democrats benefit from all of that, I believe.
1: What, what do you think? Brian? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think there's not a lot of empirical evidence out there, but Virginia, I think, kind of proves your point to some degree, where um, Ed Gillespie certainly didn't have a lack of money.
1: He had lots of money. Um, yeah. He had a lot
2: of money. Uh, it was a race on on even to uneven ground, with the Republican having a, a slight edge probably on the money side, and, and he lost on the enthusiasm. And I think that's... You know that's that's what Republicans are scared of, and and why they're raising as much money as they are um, to to try to counter that. Again, it's, it's a long way off, in, um, and trying to hold that energy and that enthusiasm uh, during what it looks to be a really slow legislative year, without a lot of big issues out there, with an economy that's churning along um, at, at a pretty brisk pace, and, and jobs coming back into the workforce is going to be a lot harder. It's a different economic environment than it was when Republicans had their last wave. Yes.
0: I, I'd sure. add that you have the Mueller investigation ongoing, mm-hmm. so while the legislative agenda seems to be a bit stuck positive or negative Mueller's not stuck mm-hmm. he's going to continue indicting people and and I think the circle closes on Trump and we've seen Trump can start to flail um, I don't know whether Trump will be charged with anything uh, but it'll get. I imagine this will get very close to him, um, and and you can see the way Mueller is is indicting people all around Trump, and separately indicted that group of Russians, making it harder, I think, for Trump to fire him mm-hmm. because he would seem to be helping Russians accused of espionage. He seems very much to have Trump in his sights. That could affect, uh, vo- it could affect voter enthusiasm. Well,
1: that, that's where I was going to. I was going to ask you between the 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 for both of you, and you've kind of started the conversation. And that is, Drew, and that is, you got the um, other investigation. You have four dozen White House folks that can't even get security clearances and still going through a process on that. You have the memo that the House flipped, you know, the Republicans did, then the Democrats did a memo. And you have all this kind of, I call it the Washington, D.C. intrigue that is always going on, but it's actually real. Do you think this? And I, I see reports often on on GOP nervous about this stuff, but trying to keep focused on you know which I believe their tax bill is becoming more and more popular in different states. There's no question about it. That's going to be one of their efforts to campaign on. But does this, I guess, for you, Brian, is this is this like a, a ball and chain around their leg? These Trump investigations when it's not really. What's amazing is there is a moment when the House and Senate had their own issues with sexual harassment. So, and that almost like got re, I don't say resolved, but it's off the radar screen. And now it's just again back to Trump stuff. Is that kind of that drag? I mean, here they got their tax bill, which by all accounts, data wise, is saying it doesn't matter if it's real or not, what the return is to the voter, they believe it's a good return.
2: So I, I think there's two separate issues in there. I, I think one is is how this White House is managed and administered, and and you know they have had um, a problem since day one on staffing and and getting top tier talent to to work there, um, and then and then what to do with the top tier tier talent that they do have um, has has been a difficulty, and they haven't overcome it. You know on the security clearance stuff, I, I think the only real tie there is is. Uh, that they're both intelligence matters, but you know, I, I worked for Vice President Cheney. I was in the Bush White House. I had to go through the security clearance process. It's it's normal to, to be in an acting position you're so good until that you're...
1: you pass that. That makes me <laughs> <you> feel better. <laughs>
2: Thank you. I think my mom was nervous. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think it's normal to, to to have a lot of folks sitting there waiting for their clearance to clear. What's what's not normal is that that people that don't have that final uh, yes note to to be sitting in on on secure meetings. And if that's happening. That shouldn't be happening, right. and that that goes to the point of, you know, there's there's a management problem at the White House, um, and I think that that story and, it and makes the, people nervous, and it makes people nervous, and I think the fate of the chief of staff is 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 yep. interesting, and and. Um, you know how there's rumors that there's going to be a wave of uh, one-year anniversary staffers that that uh, step down, and we've started to see a little bit of that, and I expect to see more. And then separate from that, you have the Russia investigation. Um, and then you know, again, we we have no idea where this is going to lead. I don't think the president knows where it's going to lead or what's going to come of it. And it will be a constant uh, noise for probably a long time. Um, I mean, you go back to the Whitewater investigations in the past, and I think every president's had some form of major investigation um, that that happened. And and it's it's at least loud background noise uh, for three years. Um, and if it's if it ends up being that the shoe that drops. Uh, then yeah, I think that would dramatically impact the elections. But we haven't seen that yet.
1: Let me get your final thoughts on kind of prediction. And that is, so what do you think is going to happen to the House, the Senate, and will Democrats pick up or will Republicans pick up seats in the governor's race? So let's just start, Brian, with your your thoughts on it. Oh, gee, thanks. You're welcome.
2: Uh, I think that there's a high likelihood that the the House can could flip over to Democratic control. Um, I mean, there's a huge advantage that the Republicans still have in in congressional districting, and you know, a, a national poll does not at all reflect you know what members think, what individual voters think of their individual members. So. I think it's gonna to be tough. I think it's five seats one way or the other. Um, so close. So so close. I think that I think the Senate stays in Republican hands. It's just Democrats have too much to defend and, and frankly our, our candidates are, are good. Um, you know, and in the governor race, I, I think the state stuff is interesting because it's a different set of issues. You know, education is, is uh, a top issue there and, mm-hmm. you know, ballot initiatives drive it. And I think that you'll continue to see the trend that we've seen so far that Drew mentioned. I think that Democrats are going to make a headway. And one of the reasons is Republicans just control more than any party has ever controlled. Right. Um, and there's it's almost impossible to hold it. Um, so I, I think there's going to be some pretty significant Democratic headway there.
0: Yeah, I think I think Democrats will take the house. Mm-hmm. Senate is a jump ball. I think Um, hard to predict. It'll come down to just a couple of races. Um, There's always one or two close races, maybe even upsets that we don't uh, see very far in advance. Um, I would be looking maybe to Texas for one, at least on the Democratic side. I think governor's races here, the landscape for 2018 is almost the opposite of the landscape for Senate races. I think you have 36 governor's seats. Up, and they're disproportionately now held by Republicans, uh, many of them in red states or purple states. So, as Brian said, they control so much that their control has to erode. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just have more seats at the margin to lose, a lot more in this election cycle. Um, So, I think Democrats will pick up a bunch of, you know, net will pick up a bunch of governor seats.
1: I guess I'll, I'll throw in my prediction. I think you're right. The House is probably going to flip. And for not only for election reasons, but uh, some reapportionment court cases that got resolved that are going to have some impact indirectly, but directly at the end of the day. I think the Senate stays Republican, and I think it's uh, some tough races there. And I think the uh, governor's races—they'll probably Democrats probably pick up for all the reasons you just said, Drew. I think there's 17 or 16, 16 seats that are a Democratic controlled that they have a margin of. Probably another five or six they could pick up. Uh, When you look at the top 10 governor's races, they're all a big chunk of them are open seats that are held by or were held by Republicans, but are in states that Democrats have edges in. And then I'll throw this into the governor's race only because I've been watching a couple of them. I'll give the long shot. I have a long shot race, and if you each have one, in in House, Senate, or Governors, throw it on the table, but uh, um, it's the SETI-Warren in Massachusetts. And the only reason is, well, I know him, I like him, but also because on the ballot will be Warren and Warren.
0: Oh, that's funny. And, And I think people- That's interesting. So the
1: millions she will spend talking about Warren, voters, as smart as they are, sometimes are in a hurry and- and it's the that's, Warren, that's a good prediction. But Warren and Warren, and she will spend the money for a lot of reasons, not just for her own race, but her future. So she's about defining herself in a different way. And I think she'll spend so much money that SETI, if he makes it through the primary, which it looks like he will, may be a benefactor indirectly yeah. to the Warren and Warren. I just That's my long shot. Any long shots in either one of well, yours?
0: I'll throw out something to look for that I think is interesting. In the last uh, midterms, 2014, the percentage of... 18 to 29 year old citizens who voted was something like 15 the lowest percentage of any age group just 15% of the eligible people in that group voted. Among the oldest voters 65 and above it was over 40%. Mm-hmm. If that 15 jumps significantly that's mm-hmm. a huge shift in favor of Democrats and it shouldn't take much to get from 15 to 20 or 25. Right. You seem to have a lot of young people now interested in voting a place like Florida that could make all the difference.
1: Yep. You have a
0: No, but
2: I'll I'll, go uh, off Drew's point. I've been really impressed with how young the candidates are. So, you know, we're at a stage here in D.C. and, and at Brownstein where we get to meet a lot of these. People yes. that are just thinking about running even before they <laughs> announce, and um, I'm I am uh, impressed uh, by the the sheer number of highly qualified, professional young people. And by young, you're younger than me. I was gonna um, I was gonna get to that um, you know, you know, that are running in um, you know competitive seats, and they they have a chance. And and it's I think the Republican Party has gotten younger. Um, in the last decade, uh, and it looks that that trend's just going to continue. When you see these candidates, and they're 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 highly qualified people.
1: I, I I I gotta agree with you on that. I have seen, and like you both, I you know we I get calls and candidates, and they're just a much younger mm-hmm. group, but very highly qualified and not some candidates I've seen in the past where you want to really tell them not to ever run for anything. Uh, these are candidates you say, why are they, where have they been? Yeah. And really, they weren't born yet. I, I, <laughs> I mean, that's I, how young some are. <laughs> I think this reflects
0: the difference in the social media era. That's yeah. part of what we're seeing. They figure that they can reach potential supporters directly. Email us, Facebook, enough to Twitter, get to a critical whatever mass. Does. They don't have to go through a party nominating process because young people are always at a disadvantage. They haven't been working the party leaders for all that time, But, but if you're a young person and you think you have like a one sentence selling point, now you've got a shot all of a sudden. Yeah. Get it's out on Twitter.
1: A, it's an interesting It's an interesting time. Well, f- first, uh, t- to both of you, um, Drew, Brian, thank you very much for being part of this. Thanks Pleasure. for giving kind of the political update. I know our listeners, uh, our clients, and others who may be our clients in the future, uh, this is one of the uh, things they look for, because you guys give insight, because you're on the ground every day. Our team here at Brownstein is always hearing and seeing and talking to folks. That gives uh, a little different edge to the issues we deal with and understanding the politics and what's going on around us makes a difference in how we can advise our clients because we not only understand the issues, but we have this nuance of knowledge that uh, is a unique part of what we do here. So thank you very much for both of you.
0: Thank you, Senator. Yeah, Brian. Glad to be part of it. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.